Welcome to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz. On today's show, New Mexico's roadside marker program began in the 1930s. By 2005, there were over 500 historic and scenic roadside markers, and exactly one featured a woman. Today's guest, Pat French, was a co-founder of the New Mexico Women's Forum and was instrumental in writing this historical wrong. Pat French, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's really great to have you, and congratulations on making our history more conclusive. And that's really what I want to spend the first part of the show on. Then I'd like your take on how such a obvious discrimination could have continued in our state until really quite recently. And finally, we have to hear about some of those 100 women who were not recognized but now are. But to start with, uh, what I read was that you were also actually the first person to to suspect this disparity. And I'm really curious about how you noticed that or how you were able to discern that. Well, uh, my husband and I and and our two-year-old son traveled to New Mexico in uh, 1978, and we traveled by car. We had a rider truck. We were coming from Brooklyn, going to um, to Santa Fe, and um, to start a new life in New Mexico. And so along the way, um, we, you know, we traveled up to Santa Fe and then spent I spent a lot of years going back and forth in the 80s and 90s with our family and then our, our daughter, too, um, who was born in New Mexico, um, seeing the state. And we also bought a ranch in southern New Mexico, so in, in historic Monticello. And so um, wanting to know the history, which because we were newcomers. And so uh, it was wonderful to research, to stop at markers and to stop anywhere we could and learn about the history. Uh, but we sadly found, or I sadly found, that there were hardly any women mentioned anywhere. So, so you were literally driving around, and and what, when you'd see a marker, you'd stop, or did, did you know where they were? Or oh, I didn't know where they were. I did not know where they were, but I would stop, and um, often that would be a, a stop that we could all get out of the car and stretch our legs. And um, and I started reading them, but it wasn't just the markers. It was everywhere I would go to museums and and you know read as much as I could about about the state that I didn't know much about. And, and during what time period were you doing this? Eighties and nineties. In the nineties, we bought a ranch. That's when we bought a ranch in southern New Mexico. So we would regularly make trips to to the southern part of the state. So the the 80s were a really significant time in women's history, right? I mean, I I mean I I was a lawyer in my former life, and you know that was when Sandra Day O'Connor became the first Supreme Court justice. It's when Sally Ride was the first woman to go into space. Uh, it's when Geraldine Ferraro uh, became the first vice presidential candidate. So th- this was a significant time in women's history, and I guess my my question is, was this something you were particularly focused on, women's rights, activism? I was focused on it in the sense that um, I was a founding member of the, of the International Women's Forum in New Mexico, and that started in, in the late 80s. And so we were a group of women who were, um, we, we were part of 
a larger group group of women recognizing women's rights. That had, you know, the, the trailblazers were all before us, but but we were still wanting to learn about women in New Mexico who were present women who were leaders of New Mexico. And that was and is the purpose of the Women's Forum. The Women's Forum is supposed to. I mean, one of the one of the goals of the Women's Forum is to embrace women's leadership and to identify women throughout the state, the country, the world that can help elevate women. So this interest in roadside markers and whether any women or sufficient women were on them, I mean, that fits right into what you were interested in and what the forum was interested in, right? Yes. And so... And so moving along in, in 1996, um, when, when we were, if I may, when, when I was walking with a group of, of friends who were all women forum members on Linda Davis's ranch, which is on the historical Santa Fe Trail, that I decided to mention it to the friends that I was walking, walking with, the, the concept of of doing something about this. I had wanted to do something about the marker issue for some time. And I'm an ideas person. So I kept on thinking, well, what can we do about this to change these markers or to add to these markers? And so I mentioned it to to friends as we walked on the old Santa Fe Trail. Let, let me back up and just make sure people understand what a historic marker is. I mean, I'm sure most people do, but could you just describe what they are? Oh, thank you for thank you for asking that question. So originally, when we when I started looking at the markers, all they were and all they are, which are significant, are their handmade um, large um, wooden markers, wooden signs on at at turnoffs on the highways throughout New Mexico that depict generally the the um, the environment, the history. Um, and in the past, they they depicted it at the time that I was studying them. They depicted what I then, you know, further studied was about 174 men that were mentioned, and only one woman was mentioned, but she fully, but she was not even the subject of the sentence. So and that was Maria Martinez. But that they were largely done, I think, at the time because travel by road was um, was something that would invite tourism in New Mexico. So a lot of the signs related to uh, cowboys and um, desperados and um, uh, uh, people who uh, men who created poten- potential interest in why you should visit this area. So you, you, you just said that I think that uh, there were 175 men on these markers and one woman. And I and I, I'd like to know, did you know this in 1996 when you were walking the Santa Fe Trail and and uh, m- mentioned your question to the friends you were walking with? Did when did you discover this imbalance? Uh, well, the the total imbalance. I mean, actually, I did not know that it was as bad as it was in terms of 174. I did not know that number until in 2005 when I brought this up again to the Women's Forum officially, and they embraced the idea of doing a, a project that would, that would 
mention women on these markers, that's when I decided that I needed to absolutely know each marker that existed for, for the men and how many existed that, you know, and, and further delineate what there what there was for women. And for women, there were there was some mention of women, of women as the wife of that type of mention, but not except for Maria Martinez. She was the only one mentioned by name. So that was a study that I did when the when the forum decided to fully embrace the project, which was in 2005. So this whole process took some time. So why, why don't you tell uh, listeners who Maria Martinez was? If, if it's the only woman mentioned, you can bet that she was significant. So who was Mar- uh, Maria Martinez? Maria Martinez was a fabulous. She was she was from San Alfonso Pueblo, and she and her husband Juan created the black pottery that at the time was used for household things, but then became um, became an art form. And her work, basically, her beautiful black pottery, um, not only did she create it, but then she taught other people in the Pueblo how to make it. And it basically became um, a foundation for the success of the Pueblo, financial success of the Pueblo. So... She um, she's in museums all over the world, and her work is adored. And we were fortunate enough, also in the 1980s to ha- maybe it was the 90s that she- we met her before her death. She came to a meeting. It was the 90s. Um, she came to a meeting of the of the New Mexico Women's Forum. And that was a great joy. So this was that black on black matte polished Santa Clara pottery that that I think is. Became so popular not in the United States but all over the world, right? Exactly. Well, I want to go back and just ask you just a couple more things about that initial conversation you had in 1996. But let me first mention this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I'm very pleased to be talking with Pat French. Pat was a co founder of the New Mexico Women's Forum, now the International Women's Forum. And she also was instrumental, as you've been hearing, uh, about correcting the imbalance in recognition of women on historical markers. And, and Pat, what I read was the, the two women you happened to be walking the Santa Fe Trail with in 1996 turned out to be also very instrumental in this whole project. Uh, Beverly Duran and Alexis Gerard. And that when you raised this question about, like, how many women really came along on, uh, on the Santa Fe Trail, uh, it was Beverly Duran said, yeah, well, and what about Camino Real? You know, we hear a lot about Don Juan and Yate, but what about the women who came? Beverly and Alexis were pivotal in terms of they, they were good friends. They are good friends. And if it weren't, it were, if it were not for them— um, I probably would not have um, have gone forward with this. I don't remember Beverly specifically saying that line then, but I do know that she um, that this was something extremely important to her because Beverly was, I think, 14 generations New Mexican, if you can be that, and and um, and Alexis also had lived in New Mexico for a long time. And again, I was a newcomer, and they said to me, well. Um, particularly Beverly said to me, you know, you know, we will support you. If this is your dream, we will make this happen. So that was, the, and they did. They became um, 
I mean, Alexis uh, and, and Beverly and I ran the project from 2006 uh, to 2010. So j- just for context uh, on the disparity, Title IX of the Civil Rights Act, which prevents, prohibits sex discrimination, that actually passed, became law in 1972. And the reason I mention that is I, I, I want your take on how this disparity could have existed. I mean, it existed, as you said, all the way to 2005, when you, when you first actually got the data on how bad it was. And since you've been, I think, thinking about this for, let's just say, a number of years, I, I wonder what you make of it. How, did, how could that happen? How did it happen? I can only say that that in going arriving in New Mexico and realizing that one could go to, and living close to the capital, one could go and and um, lobby on any subject, and, you know. And I did that. I would go in um, <laughs> in areas that interested me. I would go into the capital, and I realized at that point and earlier it was an all man's legislature. There were some women who, as we know, who were notable on our marker project, who who were first secretaries of state as a woman or I mean or or were or were people who were involved in politics all along the way, but largely law was made by men. And and frankly right now one of the things I'm thrilled about is having a woman governor who has strongly supported this project. Um, and I do have to say that Barbara Richardson who was the honorary chair of this project uh, when we had when when we began um, was you know she was very important influencing her husband then Governor Bill Richardson um, to help us get the funds. I personally solicited her and um, and so how did it happen? I think it happened you know just because it never was corrected in New Mexico was slow in terms of women's rights. It was it was it, you know it was a cowboy state. Oil men, cowboys—that um, was the, its origin. And women, um, women were the backbone of the state. The Pueblo Indians, the women were the ones who created, who who built, who plastered all the houses. And that was also true. It later was true of the Hispanic women who came after them. They learned that same beautiful tradition of plastering. I mean, so the foundation of women in in New Mexico was always strong, but it was the men that um, that ruled the land. You, you mentioned that you had the support of uh, Barbara and Bill Richardson, and obviously, in the legislature, that that <laughs> that's huge, <laughs> you know, in getting something passed. But I'm just wondering, uh, you also needed a lot of money to do this. In other words, you just didn't know, need a bill that said, "Okay, from now on, we're going to have equality." You wanted to go back and right the wrong and introduce all these women who hadn't been recognized. And to do that, you needed funding. And I guess it went through capital outlay. And capital outlay is a really screwy thing in New Mexico. It's <laughs> like one-third to governor, one-third to each individual legislator, one-third to each individual senator. So that sounds to me like it must have been very difficult. Where, how did you get that money? Well, um, I, I first solicited... Bill Richardson and got a pledge for half of the money I from him. That came from his capital outlay. You're saying 
It came from his capital outlay. It right. was at the end of a. It was money that were to be used for something else that he knew that he had, and he said he would put it there. So I then I had to. I was leaving the country on a trip, and I then said to Alexis and and Deb, uh, "Would you?" Would you, um, you know, they they were in charge of, of soliciting, of, of rather uh, making the legislature um, come along, and the, and the legislature did. They were great because those two women went to every legislator and asked for funds, and so the other half of the monies came from the legislature. Actually, a little bit more. I think it was one fifty from Bill Richardson and the rest from the legislature of the three thirty. So it passes, and then there's a request for a proposal put out by the legislature, and the Women's Forum decides it's going to bid, and you get you get the contract, right? And then— uh, That was difficult. That was a surprise to us, Stephen, because we didn't realize we had to bid for our own project. We had no <laughs> idea that we had to do that and because we were novices in this. We were people who had an idea that we wanted to see fulfilled, but, but oh, my gosh, now it was suddenly really happening. I hope this is an encouragement for people, for women, and for everyone else who realizes that things can be still done here in this state. And, um, and you know, if you have a dream, follow up on it. Well, if you've just tuned in, this is New Mexico People, Places and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I'm very pleased to be talking with Pat French. Pat uh, discovered and later found out specifically the imbalance in uh, historic roadside markers between men and women. She then got the, her forum, which the Women's Forum, to pursue it, and they've actually changed the historical record for New Mexico. And, Pat, after you get the RFP and after you're going all overall how it should be done and— you get down to selecting, and that that alone it seems to me to be very difficult because you're talking about history, and you're talking about history all over the state. That seems alone to be one heck of a project. How to pick these people? Yes, we didn't. We really never had enough time to do this. In my mind, you know, we and we wish we had had more than the initial four years to do this because, I mean, just we we through news. Uh, through, we decided to do it through the counties, and that was, I had researched that um, different states work through the municipalities in creating markers. This was not women's markers, but just in general, that's how they did it. And I thought, well, the counties would be great. Beverly followed up, and she went to many of these county meetings. So we had, um, we had, we had in terms of our process, we had a selection committee. And on that selection committee was representatives from the Association of Counties, representatives from the New Mexico Commission on the Status of Women, historians, public members. Um, so, so all of these groups were involved in the process, but the main process was to ask the counties and ask the Pueblos and tribes for their nominations first. That alone took a lot of time, the time that we didn't necessarily have. We did get nominations from the public. Well, speaking of not having enough time, I want to turn to who some of the women are who weren't recognized and who are now recognized. And 
you know, there's over 100 women now recognized. We're, we're not going to be able to be fair or representative uh, to, you know, the, that group. Um, but I, I'd like to start you off with one, I think, one unbelievable, incredible story of a woman who is now recognized who hadn't been, and that's Sally Rook. Could you, could you tell us her, her story and, and, and why she became recognized? Yes, of course. Well, Sally um, was in her 60s when she decided to travel to um, this little community of Folsom, New Mexico, which is part of Union County. And when she was there, uh, I mean, she, she, she got a job as a telephone, as the telephone operator for this small little town. Um, and one day, she had just been there for a few years, Um, She had been notified by someone on the telephone that a big flood was coming to her community, a huge flood, and and that she needed to spread the word. Well, she got on the telephone and she called every single person in the community as as the waters were rising and the town was being completely flooded. She saved most of that community. By, by her efforts, and in the process, she lost her life. Her little, her little shack that she was in got turned over and, um, and destroyed. They found her body years later downriver, and we did a celebration of her life um, because we felt uh, very strongly, all of us felt that women were an important part of every community and that community, this process of, of studying women was, was also studying community. And when we did our, our celebration of Sally's life, the people of Folsom all came out. The pe- this, is, you know, this was you know, so many years later, and they all came out, and they, and they, and they talked about that they, they, they wouldn't have been there today if it hadn't been for this brave woman saving them. At the time, she had no, no um, gravestone at all on her grave. And, and the women who were the telephone operators around the country heard of this and each gave a dime to, to create a gravestone for Sally Rook. It's little things like that. I mean, you don't have to be, um, you know, a famous person such as Otera Warren, who now is commemorated on a, on a quarter, which is fabulous. Um, you know, you don't you didn't need to be a famous person to do something meaningful for your community, as Sally had done. I found another woman like that, if you don't mind my mentioning her, which is Meta Christie, who was a woman who had been um, somewhat lost in history, and she was the first black osteopath, the first African-American osteopath in, in the United States. And she was living in Las Vegas, New Mexico, where when we did door-to-door research, knocking on doors, um, I found people who knew her or knew of her. And, and, um, and then we informed the American Osteopath Association and they decided to honor her. She is now honored in Black History Month, which, you know, just came about by researching someone who wasn't terribly known. 
Uh, I mean, would you like to mention any other people? I mean, we 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 don't have a lot of time, but if if you'd like to mention a, f- uh, a couple more people, please do. I can mention one or two more. I'd like to mention the celebrations that we had, which were a big part of of the project, and I hope will continue on. Um, the Sisters of of Loretto. Um, I think it's important to note that not just Archbishop Lamy, but also the Sisters of Loretto um, came to New Mexico, and they created the first school for women in Santa Fe, but they basically educated half of the girls that existed in New Mexico at that time. And we did a wonderful celebration of their lives. And the the Sisters of Loretto today from all over the country came in to honor the Sisters of Loretto Marker, which now sits on um, across from Loretto, Loretto Chapel on East Alameda. I find the Sisters of Loretto really fascinating because it, it really brings up something about this historical change that I think is is really important, which is you, you're not taking something away from Bishop Lamy. You know, we, we're, you know, you're not saying this wasn't an important was not an important contribution. What you're saying is there are other people who also made a contribution, namely the sisters themselves. And I think sort of that is like an addition to history or a supplement to history or an inclusiveness of history. And I think that's what's so fascinating about what your project was. Yes, I, I, I think I think that's what you just nailed it. I think that's that's perfectly said. I mean, um, I would like to mention one other person that we did a wonderful ceremony for, which was Esther Martinez of Okeawinge. I mean, she we're celebrating people who who are the foundation people of the history of New Mexico. Esther Martinez, also in her 60s, um, was was charged basically by people around her to to do the first dictionary on Tewa language, on the Tewa language. It wouldn't exist if it weren't for her. And so the celebration that we had at the Okeawinge um, Pueblo, uh, that hundreds of people came, family members from all over came in to celebrate this incredible, incredible woman and her saving of language. So it, it's people like that, that um, women like that, that, I mean, she lived a normal life with raising 10 children on the Pueblo, but then, then um, when asked, realized how important it was to, to document and save a language, which helped save a people. Yeah, I, I find her story really fascinating because she she actually, I guess, spoke Tiwa, you know, fluently, but she, but she couldn't uh, read or write it. And she taught herself how to read or write it and then created the first Tiwa dictionary. That's right. And she also created and she also created the first Tiwa Bible or not Bible, but New Testament. No kidding. You know, what What you've added, like I had read, you know, I read the markers. You've added so much context to these stories. Uh, it, it's wonderful, you know, your involvement and what you know about these people and how you celebrated these people. I, I, I really want to thank you for what you've done and congratulate you for what you've done. Thank you, Stephen. Can I mention one brief thing, which is that, if you go to the website today, to our website, you will see what's going on now. 
because thanks to the governor, there's more monies to do to educate, inspire um, everyone, to, our, our population, particularly young women. And they're now doing a wonderful program for ch children who are K-12. K to 12. There's going to be a curriculum program in the schools, and there's a traveling ex exhibition in the libraries happening. So I just wanted you to know that the project, in a program form, is living on in outreach. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Once again, congratulations, Pat French, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks also to my producer, Gus Tafoya, and my engineer, Roman Garcia. My name is Stephen Spitz, and you've been listening to New Mexico People, Places and Ideas on KUNM. Podcasts of this show are available wherever you get podcasts. Search Stephen Spitz. Archives of past shows are at stephenspitz.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.